Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, that's the fanfare for the common man by Erin Copeland and here we are on 3CR with the Dogs Program because we're here for all of the children, all of the people uh, who want their children to have an education in Victoria and in Australia. We are the Dogs. We are the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools and you're listening to 3CR 855 on the AM dial and it is a very special radio program and radio because the dogs have got a program on it and I'm not sure that we'd be allowed anywhere else because we are for all the children and we are for public education and that's public in purpose and outcome. It's also public in access. All children are allowed into public education, public schools. It should also be publicly owned and controlled it's the only one that should be publicly funded because it's the only one that's publicly accountable. And we're here every week to fight for these ideas. The corollary, of course, is separation of church and state. And we've got some very interesting material today from, of all people, Fiona Patton, who is the sex party candidate in our state parliament. But I've got a press release. We have our website at www.adogs.info and press release 648 takes us to England. The United Kingdom Chancellor Osborne is turning all the English schools into academies. Australia should stay ahead of this privatisation game. Australian politicians lacking a sense of Australian history and identity have an unfortunate habit of mimicking developments in the UK and the USA. The Federal Coalition's flirtation with the idea of English-style academies is no exception. This experiment means the wholesale decentralisation and privatisation of public education systems as we know it, and it must be resisted at all costs. Academies, what are they? They are private schools that are run by sponsors, which can be religious organisations or companies run for profit or even wealthy individuals. They will be publicly funded and able to charge fees. There appears to be little or no accountability for public funds to any bureaucracy, so ministerial responsibility under a Westminster system 
becomes a joke. In the United Kingdom, education has always been more decentralised and uh, more unequal than in Australia because it was run by local councils. But the latest development of the uh, Conservative government means that a central government is using its power to isolate individual schools from any supporting structure or pay scale. Australian teachers, and the UK is courting Australian teachers because they have a lack of teachers in the UK, so Australian teachers who are thinking of a UK career change, be warned, you may be left to sink or swim. UK teachers have already warned the government of more industrial strife as they claim that academisation of schools will push down pay and make it harder to attract young people into the profession. The budget will also include a raft of fresh austerity measures in the face of a weakening global economy. So it's unlikely that teachers will get a pay rise in this situation. Kevin Courtney of the National Union of Teachers in the UK said that dismantling pay scales would cause complete chaos. There could be individual negotiations with up to 20,000 schools and that's bound to lead to more disputes over pay, he said. There's already a teacher shortage and the fact that you can't advertise pay scales or say what you'll be earning in four years will put young people off. Asked whether schools might increase pay, he said, of course it's not going to mean teachers are paid more because funding will be standing still in cash terms. Well, it might even be cut. Courtney said that many academies were sticking to pay scales at the moment but some free schools were offering salaries below the minimum. So teachers have already reported problems with mortgages. They can't get them, as it was not clear how much they might be paid in the future. Now, according to The Guardian, there's already draft legislation for this radical shape-up of schools, and it can be expected in the UK as soon as the next budget, which is... In this week, Chancellor Osborne will set out plans for the most radical shake-up of the school system in decades by ensuring that all schools become these academies, independent of local authorities. This legislation will begin the process of implementing a pledge made by David Cameron in his conference speech last autumn, when he said that his vision for our schooling system was to place education into the hands of head teachers and teachers rather than bureaucrats. Well, listeners, you are some of the principals in Victorian schools about being left on their own to make sure that they can balance their budget and being left high and dry by the education department and a minister who hasn't even got on top of bureaucrats who have rorted the system when they have been bought in from the private sector. Now, the education's plans, the government's education plans in the UK are fiercely opposed by Labor, but Labor doesn't have the numbers to stop them, and they're arguing that 
taking thousands of schools out of council control undermines the democratic accountability for the education system. They're not wrong there. And Lucy Powell, who's the Shadow Schools Minister, said that there was no evidence to suggest that academisation in and of itself led to school improvement. In fact, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. The Chief Inspector of Schools, Sir Michael Wilshaw, in the United Kingdom, had written to the Secretary of State for Education highlighting the serious weaknesses in the academy chains. And he said, How the government can plough ahead with the wholesale academisation of all schools in light of this evidence beggars belief. And uh, Ms Powell said, we want to see robust accountability and oversight of all schools, regardless of type. And the ministers in, in the UK, according to Powell, should focus instead on teacher shortages, school places and inequalities. And the same thing, of course, applies in Australia. Mr Pine was much enamoured of these academies and introduced some of them in Western Australia and was going to introduce them all around Australia. And no doubt if Mr Turnbull is returned this year, this is what Australia can expect. And uh, Birmingham has got a few problems if he goes ahead with it too. So the legislation is very likely to pass in the United Kingdom and it's going to be a mess in that country. Uh, And they're set to turn the educational clock back to the 18th century because, listeners, this is what this really means. It could even go back further than the 18th century. So dogs ask, does Australia have to mindlessly follow what some used to call the mother country. Uh, So uh, that's what I have to say. And now I would like to take you to the United States of America. The privatisation of public education in America has taken a similar form to that in the United Kingdom. The academies in England are really going to be state schools which are privatised and grabbed. They will be captured schools, captured by religious groups, and in in some cases this has already happened, and uh, they will also be captured by wealthy companies who want to uh, push their line and their ideology and also wealthy individuals. But there has been a similar development in the United States of America. And in Cleveland, the charter school teachers have formed a union and the United Kingdom teachers should look at what's happening there as the uh, government in England starts to push them into these privatised institutions and it is already happening in the United States. One of the main reasons, according to Diana Ravitch, that billionaires like Waltons fund charter schools is to cripple the teacher unions. 90% of the charter schools in America are non-union. The teachers are often unlicensed in these schools and they lack certification. 
And this, of course, has been going on in Australians private, Australia's private schools for decades. A large number in the United States teachers are Teach for America and they have no intention of making teaching their career. Charter teachers serve at will and may be fired for any reason. The American Federation of Teachers announced that charters teachers in Cleveland, however, have now joined their union. And it's actually a first. And the teachers and support staff at the University of Cleveland Preparatory School have joined the Ohio Federation of Teachers and the American Federation of Teachers to address the high turnover and to improve the education of their students. It's a historic first for Cleveland and the teachers and the support staff voted overwhelmingly to join the union. And the successful vote represents the first union charter school organising victory in Cleveland. And it's adding to a growing national movement of charter school educators demanding a voice for their profession. Educators across the ICANN schools chain are organising to form a union to challenge the conditions that lead to high teacher turnover. And the teachers and the support staff there say that lack of job security has a very chilling effect on raising concerns or suggestions to better support students' individual needs. And teachers have had no voice in professional development or their evaluation process in these schools. Their vote was hard-earned. In 2014, in response to the teachers' organising efforts... These charter schools undertook a brazen anti-educator campaign and seven teachers who were instrumental in union organising were fired for punishment. But in spite of this, the teachers did not back down but continued their organising efforts and remained committed to a shared vision of real partnership among families, the administration and the teachers. Transparency in school policy, procedures and decision-making, a strong voice for educators to promote student achievement, reasonable expectations and workload, adequate staffing, protected planning time, educational support and accountability. Above all, the families of these charter school students joined the effort by issuing an open letter to the administration demanding turnover be addressed and demanding meetings with members of the administration and circulating an online petition to support teachers. So over in the United States, the teachers are trying to get to the point that teachers in Australia are already at. In Australia, it is possible for teachers, even in private schools, to unionise without losing their jobs. But if these academies are introduced in England and we follow, uh, as our politicians tend to do, this development, then teacher unions will have a battle and teachers will certainly have a battle. 
And this ba- these battles have already been fought. They were fought in the 19th century in Australia. That was why we had a public system. That was why we trained our teachers well. That is why the teachers were allowed to unionise and why the teachers were given support, mainly from inspectors, by the way, uh, when they were in our public schools. And it would be a tragedy if the Turnbull government was returned at the end of this year and was allowed to put the United States or the United Kingdom policies into action. But that's enough from me for the moment, enough of my voice. Uh, Just one more thing I would like to put into the um, program, but I'll do that a bit later, uh, about the Docklands School and a petition that came into my letterbox this morning, which I'm very, very happy to sign. But uh, I'll now ask David Kinsella to play his organ for us. Did you miss the latest episode of your favourite 3CR show? Visit 3CR's new improved website. Now you can listen to the latest episode of almost every 3CR show with one click, including music, arts, community languages, current affairs and more. No need to podcast, no need to download. Visit 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. 
then go to your favourite programs page to listen. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And as you've just heard, you can go to the website, 3cr.org.au. A good place to hear what we're doing here on the Dogs Program. In case you want to argue with us or check on what we're doing, you can go back and listen to us again. Feel free. Uh, we've been listening to David Kinsella playing some lovely books to Hooter, Magnificat, from the sort of early 18th century, just to calm us all down. Because Jean, as you have just been listening, has been telling us about what's going on overseas. We do talk about what goes on overseas because it's a way of looking into the future of what's going to happen to our kids in Australia because what happens in the US and the UK usually turns up here a couple of years later. Now, Jean's talking about charter schools and unionised teachers in the UK and the US. And you go, well, what's that got to do with us? It's very simple. All you have to do is look at our vocational education and training um, system here in Victoria, which has been almost totally privatised. and chaos. quite Absolute chaos. chaos. And how many VET student, uh, teachers, I should say, are unionised? Almost none. Do you know why? Because they're all casualised, because they're all working from hand to mouth on zero-hour contracts, because that is what is supposed to be efficient for the children of Australia. But as we often say here on the Dogs Program, efficiency means nothing if it's not effective, and effectiveness means nothing if it's not accountable. In a privatised system, our children are consumers and their parents are consumers and there are profits to be made and the profits take over from the opportunities for our next generation. It's called national suicide. It is indeed. Deeply, deeply, deeply unwise. Now, I know um, when I was away doing research last week, Jean had the microphone, and we thank her for that, and she was talking about what the Victorian Auditor-General coughed up in a report, now two weeks old. Now, the Victorian Auditor-General, after many trips and tribulations, released a report, um, an audit, in fact, of how our money is spent that is, millions and millions of it, on private education here in Victoria. And the Auditor-General's comments and report could, in the most polite possible way, be called completely damning of what actually happens to where the taxpayers' monies go to private schools in Victoria. And since that time, of course, uh, the Catholic Education Office, who educate a very large number of children here in Victoria, have decided to do something which I actually consider to be unforgivable. They've decided to politicise the entire matter, and they decided to politicise and attack the Auditor-General on some vague sectarian grounds. It's why, why are you biased against us poor Catholics? Um, now, the Auditor-General is one of those officers, uh, one of the pillars of democracy. The Auditor-General goes in and checks to see if anything's going on, anything's corrupt or not. So if um, the Catholic Education Office in particular wishes to attack the Auditor-General and politicise that report and politicise that office, I think we're talking about some pretty fundamental what on earth is going on here. It's like attacking a High Court judge for for being the wrong colour of his skin or something like that. It's ridiculous. Politics is played by politicians, and the Auditor-General certainly is not one of those. Now, the Auditor-General as I mentioned before, had a particularly damning report about how taxpayers' money is spent on private education in Victoria. Now, the Auditor-General, being a not a political organisation, um, just looks at the numbers. They say, how much money and where does it go and can we find out where it goes? And if the Auditor-General can't find out where taxpayers' money goes, the Auditor-General gets really grumpy. 
That's not a political question. That's not a political statement. That's just a, I'm an auditor, and if you can't tell me where the money goes, that's a bit of a problem, both for the taxpayers of Victoria and, indeed, the taxpayers of Australia more generally. Um, in fact, in this report, um, and Jean, I'm sure, hinted at this last week, in fact, at, at the beginning of the report, the Auditor-General, in fact, the Acting Auditor-General, felt as though he had to make some preliminary comments. The preliminary comments um, are actually stunning, and I think it's worth sharing them with you, um, because the Auditor-General has felt that they have had to respond to the attacks from the private school lobbies that have literally attacked the Auditor-General. Now, just this year, the Victorian government will provide an estimated $676 million in financial assistance to non-government schools. And these non-government schools provide education to around about a third of all Victorian school children. This is all just true. This is unarguable. This is the icing on the cake to the billions that the federal government give these schools. That is indeed worth pointing out. The Victorian share of funding to private schools is much smaller than what the federal government has decided to allocate. So this is just a small piece of the pie we're talking about. You also have to count in, of course, their um, exemptions from land tax, uh, from rates, from water rates, from all kinds of taxes, uh, and uh, that is a figure which is much more difficult to find. Oh, you just can't find that out. But the Auditor-General, being the Auditor-General, does not uh, conflate these things. The Auditor-General, being a non-political office of the state and supposed to be working for us to finding out if there's corruption or not, or if the money's getting spent appropriately, has decided just to stick to this very small target. And in terms of funding of private education in Victoria, $676 million is a small amount of money. But the Auditor says use the state government's grants um, in 2014, which is in fact the most recent year that could be completely examined, basically because it's all finished. And in that year, the state provided $640 million in grants to the non-government school sector. Now, state recurrent grants actually make up the bulk of state government grants to non-government schools. Um, and with over $624 million in 2014, the vast majority of these funds were, as far as the order to general was concerned, are what are euphemistically called as untagged. Schools must use this money to meet the general recurrent costs of providing education programs and must not use funds for capital expenditure, that is building new halls and all that sort of stuff. They actually must use the money which the state government gives them to educate children. Or Hanging Gardens, I think. It was at MLC. Was it MLC that had the Hanging Gardens? No, I can't tell you, Jean. I mean, I've been there. and They, what, they what, certainly what? have a lot of, um, of swimming pools, which are not open to the public. Well, I can tell you, of that $624 million in 2014, $2 million of that went directly to the Methodist Ladies College out there in Burwood. One school, $2 million from the state government, in addition to another $4.5 million from the federal government, just by the way, um, but the money that a school like that gets from taxpayers is just, just in that one example, is ridiculous. But back to the Auditor General, who doesn't talk about these things as we do on the dogs. He's just trying to stick to the figures. Now, the money goes, it's supposed to educate children. They can't build themselves nice swimming pools or anything like that with it, apparently. Now, while the funding agreements outline, um, according to the Auditor General, that the state respects the independence of non-government schools and systems who determine their own priorities... 
The Auditor General says, quite rightly, that taxpayers and parents of students at non-government schools and the broader community are entitled to expect that funds are used transparently and the Department of Education and Training, um, the non-government schools and their system administrators are effective and efficient in managing the money. This is the language that the Auditor General use. Here at DOGS we use much more, much stronger language than that. Now, the Auditor General went a bit further and he said the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria, which is the CECV, reallocates $400 million a year in recurrent grants to Catholic schools using its own methodology. This results in significantly different allocations to individual schools when compared to the Department of Education's allocations. Some schools receive substantially more and some substantially less. All other non-government schools receive recurrent grants as allocated by the DET. The Department has very limited visibility of what on earth the Catholic Education Commission is doing and the revised allocation provided to Catholic schools. And the Auditor General has recommended it clarify any conditions and reporting associations with reallocated recurrent grants. Now, what that means is it's very, very simple. The Auditor General has said, you get $400 million, what do you do with it? Well, what happens is that the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria is a very, very tightly run bureaucracy. Now, that's a word you don't often hear associated with organisations anymore. And they spend the money the way they see fit. In functional terms, what this means is, it's very simple, that rich Catholic schools in Victoria, and this is from the report, get more money than is their due. And poor Catholic schools in Victoria get less money than is their due. And this is all taxpayers' money, and they get to decide that. And Jean can tell you exactly why this happened, and so can I. But that's what's happening in 2014 in Victoria. It started in 1978. There's been no transparency, certainly from the Catholic Education Office, since 1978, when... Professor Tannock, who I think has been given a papal knighthood, he's certainly been honoured by the Pope. Uh, Peter Tannock uh, was placed in charge of the Schools Commission in Canberra and the Catholic Education Office was treated with kid gloves by all politicians uh, and uh, they became virtually a state within a state, a state bureaucracy that is, a church bureaucracy which takes state money and does as it pleases with that money. It's quite medieval. It is indeed. But to return to the Auditor General, who um, is a lot less polemic than we are, and he's just dealing with the numbers and coming to the same conclusions. The Auditor General found there was a limited assurance that the grants are used for their intended purpose. I'll just say that again. The Auditor General of Victoria says if you give money to private schools, there is limited assurance that the grants are used for their intended purpose. Well, if you use money that's not for its intended purpose and the money is taxpayers' money, then you shouldn't give it to that organisation or that person because if they're not using it the way they should, in very simple terms, that's corrupt. And it means that the idea of ministerial responsibility, which is a cornerstone of the Westminster system, is a nonsense. 
That's right. There's limited transparency. I mean, there's limited accountability. So why wouldn't you in those situations? I take you back to the terrible, just disgusting and in fact quite shocking situation of vocational education and training. It's, it's happening in the same way in secondary and primary education when it comes to the government giving money to the Catholic education systems. Now, the Auditor General says, well, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. I'm an auditor. If you want to spend some money on something, you have to be accountable for it. So he has made a number of recommendations to the Department of Education and Training. And he says that there should be improved funding agreements, clarified record-keeping and reporting requirements, and strengthening of oversight and monitoring of the non-government school sector to provide greater assurance that grants are used as they were intended. He has also made further audit comments in relation to the number of rat matters actually raised by the Catholic Education Office. The Catholic Education Commission of Victoria, that's the office, responded to the report with a series of assertions and inferences which comprehensively misrepresented the content of the auditor's report. And this is the auditor saying this. This is the auditor having to get political because he's been attacked. He was attacked by the Catholic Education Commission of, of, um, of, of Victoria. Um, and he says this whole thing is actually particularly troubling. And he said in a section of the executive director's response to the proposed report, and this is the executive director of the Catholic Education Commission, this is what, the, this is what he said. The Catholic Education said, at the outset of this audit, before any substantive work had been commenced, the former Auditor General stated in the media in relation to grants to non-government schools that, and here I quote, there is quite limited accountability coming back the other way as to where or what the money was used for, how it was used, and whether it was effective. Sensible things for an Auditor General to say as he embarks upon trying to find out. Now, the Auditor General, according to the Catholic Education Office, has now produced a report to endorse these comments. It's hard not to conclude that the scope was intentionally designed to serve this purpose, giving a broader scope that would have challenged many of the Victorian um, Auditor General's findings. Now, the burden of the Executive Director's comments, that is, the Catholic Education Executive Director's comments, is clear enough. Effectively, they are stating that the Auditor General has conducted an audit in bad faith. Uh, the scope of the audit has been rigged to align with comments made by the former Auditor General, and that consequently it seems that the evidence, the findings and conclusions and recommendations of this audit were apparently preordained. The Victorian Auditor General... This is the Catholic Education Office accusing the Auditor General... General of, of, ...of being biased, of having preordained results which they go and find the evidence for. This is the Catholic Education Office saying that the Victorian Auditor General is biased and corrupt. Here's the Acting Auditor-General. Um, the original Auditor-General who started this, uh, somebody got rid of him. Well, he did resign um, yeah. under, under very um, murky circumstances, shall we say. Now, the Victorian Auditor-General says that you can't say this about me. He says these inferences, he says the Auditor-General, are utterly without foundation or measure, and as commentary, it is quite unworthy of the administrative head of an important system of education to be even saying them. Now, for an Auditor General, this is tough stuff, I tell you. Brave man. Yeah. He said, and this is the Auditor General again, he said, aside from citing a comment made by the former Auditor General, the Executive Director of the Catholic Education Office has proffered no evidence to support his conclusions about the audit's apparently confected purpose. In this regard, rather than raise the fundamental issue at any point during the audit, 
the Executive Director of the Catholic Education Commission has chosen the very conclusion of the audit to impugn the integrity of the Auditor-General himself. And he says, all Auditor-Generals are bound by the Audit Act of 1994 and the Australian Auditing and Assurance Standards which require audit findings and conclusions are based on sufficient and appropriate evidence. Regrettably, says the Auditor-General, and I think quite bitchily, there is nothing sufficient or appropriate about these intemperate observations of the Catholic Director. <laughs> Boy, this is, you know, Jean, you've worked in these circles. You don't go around saying those things, do you? This man is not what in the bureaucracy or the administration of the state, um, state system. He is not risk averse. This is a very brave uh, man who knows his onions. And I think we are well served by this uh, Auditor General. Yes, this acting Auditor General. It's Dr Peter Frost, by the way is the name of the man that's writing this. He says, while this audit may not be what the Catholic Education Office wanted, at its core are issues of accountability and transparency. Every citizen, he says, is entitled to transparency around the use of state government funds. The response from the Independent Schools Victoria notably makes this very point, stating that government and public have the right to know how all government funding is being used. The Department of Education itself acknowledges that it has not adequately overseen the non-government school sector but is now working to change this. Now, it's interesting because the independent school sector have rolled over and played dead on this one. They say, oh yeah, our bad, we'll fix it, don't worry. But it's the Catholic Education Office that are arcing up because they don't like transparency when it comes to financial Well, they've had a very, very long run um, of people within the bureaucracies who have been... Uh, of their inclination, shall we say. And um, unfortunately, the the politicians have not done their job. And previous Auditor-Generals should also be looked at here. This is a very interesting Auditor-General. It is indeed. Now, what is it that the Auditor-General said and what are his recommendations that have annoyed the Catholic Education Office so very, very much. Well, these are his recommendations. These are the things that are so objectionable to the Catholic private school system. His recommendations are five. He has five of them. First one, he says, you need to improve funding agreements. So when you sign on a dotted line, you're signing a contract that means you have to be transparent. He says, in conjunction with the non-government school sector, clarify and strengthen the record-keeping and reporting requirements about where the money goes. This is his second very simple stuff. The third recommendation is improve special purpose grants funding agreements to ensure they have explicit and measurable outcomes. That is, if you want taxpayers' money, you have to spend it and then show that you spend it the way you spend it. <laughs> I know it's very, not very technical terms, but just simple stuff. The fourth recommendation, develop a program of audits of grant recipients and non-government schools to provide assurance grants so users intended. That is, keep doing it over and over again on a regular basis so you continue to find out where the money goes. And then, of course, his fifth recommendation is clarify any conditions and reporting requirements for system authorities when their distribution of state recurrent grants varies from the department's allocation. That is, if the money doesn't go where you said it was going to go, you better tell us why. The simple answer to this, of course, is for the Department of Education to be strengthened and for them to deal with every single school 
uh, and to give the money directly to the school and bypass any bureaucracy within the independent, so-called independent school sector. And uh, they should also have um, proper audits of all of those schools, uh, particular books. And um, they do this for state schools. They can do it for every private school. Otherwise, we have no real knowledge of where this money goes. Now, until the Schools Commission, when state aid was first given direct grants in 1969, in the period 1969 to 1972, you could actually look at the federal books, the federal budget, and you could discover exactly how much of public money was given in dollar terms to every private school in Australia. You can't do this anymore. And that was why the Catholic Education Commissions were set up in order to uh, make sure that nobody would know what they were doing with the money. I remember this very clearly because the dogs complained about it at the time and for 40, 50 years we have been asking the Auditor-General to do something about it. The Federal Auditor-General has not yet done very much, but back in 2008 we were able to establish that a proper auditing of an individual's private school books occurred once every 50 years. And if you go back on the DOGS website to our press releases of 2008, I think I referred you to it last week, and it's certainly still on our website, 256. There was a press release, 256 and 257. But you can see that this is an ongoing problem and that the State Auditor-General has just scratched the surface of what is a perennial problem if you privatise public facilities. It leads to lack of accountability and, as Robert says, downright corruption. And it's time, Mr Molino, and it's certainly time that Mr Birmingham did their job because they are the ministers and the Auditor-General is only a public service that rings the changes and lets us know that things are not right in the state of Australia. Indeed, in the state of Victoria as well. Mr Molino, you should jump in there and protect your statutory authority. You should protect the Auditor-General from attacks, sectarian attacks from private school, interested private school lobbies. You're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And Jean is right. If you're interested, you should check us out at our website, which is www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. We'll be returning uh, talking about issues of separation, church and state and sex. Um, after these messages. Come along to a concert for Steve Fraser, long-time presenter of 3CR's Night Hours on Rhythm program. Steve sustained a serious and permanent brain injury following a diabetic coma and remains in a brain injury care unit. Some of Australia's most renowned blues and roots performers are rallying in support of Steve with a fundraising concert to be held in Melbourne on Sunday, March 20. Organised by friends, family and supporters, with performers donating their time, Cherry Bar donating the venue, all donations are going to a trust fund being set up by Steve's family to provide for his and his daughter's ongoing care. 
The concert will feature Blues and Roots stars Jeff Lang, Kerry Simpson, Chris Wilson, Phil Manning, Max Cordetti and more. For more info, check out the Facebook event Concert for Steve. Pre-sale tickets available at cherrybar.com.au. Sunday, March 20, from 2pm at Cherry Bar, 103 Flinders Lane, Melbourne. Tickets by donation, minimum $20. So come along and support the concert for Steve, a stalwart supporter of homegrown blues and roots music and community radio. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Yeah, yeah, 3CR, massive community. And when I say communities, I mean communities from all sorts of ideas, all sorts of languages, all sorts of places, which is exactly why the dogs fit in here. We defend government schools. We are the DOGS, Defenders of Government Schools. Now, I promised you we'd talk about all various things, including sex. Um, uh, sex has a party. Sex is political, the sex party. Um, Fiona Patton is, in fact, an upper house member here in Victoria, and she's a particularly interesting individual. Um, she comes from the Eros Foundation originally, but the sex party have a very strong stance on the separation of religion from the state. Like, it's really quite extraordinary. In fact, almost exactly the same as the position we here have the dogs program. Uh, we don't want to look and in, peek into people's lounge rooms and find out which god they're worshipping, and we don't like being people who worship particular gods having a political influence, a very well, strong I, political influence. I assume influence, she doesn't you know. want them looking into bedrooms. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, no one should look into anyone else's bedroom about sex or religion or anything. Freedom of conscience. Freedom of conscience, indeed. Now, um, Fiona Patton's come up with a very interesting thing. Um, I know Jean mentioned it briefly last, last week. But Fiona Patton's come up with this very interesting idea. She thinks that when it comes to charitable works, um, that one of the heads of charity, the, um, was the propagation of religion, or, or, or just because you are religious, is, should no longer be a reason um, to have yourself in a charitable status position. That is, just because you happen to believe in a God and go around telling, uh, telling people about it does not mean that you should be taxation exempt. Now, if you're a particularly religious person and you go around doing charitable works, Fiona says that's fine. In fact, the doing of charitable works is a very good reason not to pay land tax. It's a very good reason not to pay stamp duty. It's a very good reason not to pay tax because you're doing charitable works. But being a religious person is not a charitable act in itself. And Fiona Patton says it's about time we started taxing people because we have a revenue problem here in Australia um, and so we need to get more taxes in so we can do more good things for more people. You know, as a legal eagle, I get very annoyed when people use the 601 statement, uh, it was at the time of Elizabeth I, to justify giving... Uh, taxation exemptions to religious groups. If you look at the list in uh, the pre the preamble to the Elizabethan legislation, which people use to say that you should give charitable uh, organisations which are religious taxation exemptions, the only religious thing that is exempt under the Elizabethan preamble is the church steeple, which has got a bell in it. And the church steeple with the bell had to be kept in order in case there was a fire. There was, in fact, no other religious exemption at all. The religious exemption comes much, much later. 
But um, that's just a little bit of history for you. I just wish that they would go back to the Elizabethan preamble and get it right, if they're going to quote it. Anyway, indeed. In a, I'm quoting from an article on March 13 by Benjamin Priest in The Age, the Fairfax Press. Um, Benjamin uh, reports that religious institutions should pay more state-based taxes. The Sex Party says this as it as it pushes to overturn long-standing exemptions, based upon what Jean was saying, going back to the time of good Queen Bess in the 16th century. Anyway, the Sex Party wants to change things a bit, and they want new laws to be introduced to force religious groups to take on an increased share of the tax burden. Now, the Sex Party Upper House MP, Fiona Patton, says charitable groups and activities operated by religious organisations should retain their tax exemptions, but other operations run by religions, should attract taxes, she says. She also says that we're struggling to pay for infrastructure in the state, but at the same time we're saying that religious organisations that may own considerable amounts of very valuable property automatically receive taxation exemptions. And the Treasurer, Tim Pallas, said the government had no plans to change the way religious institutions were taxed. Why is that a surprise? And any more... To revoke tax concessions could provoke a fierce response from religious groups. Well, I think Tim Pallas is exactly right about that because if you try and take money away from religious people, they really do not like it. I tell you what, and this is evidence. This is evidence by the Australian Christian Lobby's Victorian director Dan Flynn, and he said the Sex Party, if they go ahead with this, could expect, and I quote, considerable pushback from churches if the plan proceeds. Mr. Flynn from the Australian Christian Lobby said churches did great social good and saved money for the government by taking responsibility for building communities and relationships. He said applying taxes to some smaller congregations might crush those congregations altogether. He said land tax would be a very heavy burden if we had to pay it. He questions whether Miss Patton was trying to diminish the church's influence on society more broadly, he says. But the Sex Party hopes that publicly debating the proposal will generate publicity and attract public support. She says, Miss Patton, that is, it's time actually to have this debate. The party is currently drawing up a bill that would result in greater taxes for religious groups. Now, changing laws relating to tax exemptions is complicated for Ms Patton, partly because this bill relating to government tax or expenditure are not actually initiated in the upper house. They've got to come from the lower house. But Ms Patton said she may seek to change the definition of charities to remove promoting religion for a tax-exempt purpose. She hopes to introduce the bill into Parliament later this year. And she was actually confident her proposal would gain some support from the people of Victoria. She says, I think there's a growing community support for growing transparency of religious institutions. And I think the Auditor-General's report certainly highlights that need for growing transparency. Now, according to the SRO, the State Revenue Office, religious institutions may be exempt from some taxes, including payroll and stamp duties. Charitable organisations can claim the advancement of religion, and I quote that, advancement of religion as their main objective. However, some tax concessions for charities, such as the GST, occur at a federal level. And the push for tax to tax religious groups comes after the sex party successfully initiated an inquiry into drugs, and Miss Patton has also led successful campaigns to establish buffer zones around abortion clinics. Um, she actually, at the moment, just sort of coincidentally holds an important vote in the Upper House, with the government having a very small number of seats in the Upper House, 
and the Greens and herself and other crossbenchers are actually holding the balance of power. I think there's one addendum that we should add to this particular thing because at the moment I think you'll find that Fiona Patton and Mr Flynn from the Australian Christian Lobby are going to be going toe-to-toe on this one and they have been on 3AW and um, I will suggest to you here at the Dogs Program we might have a special guest next week, uh, Fiona Patton. Um, he's in preliminary talks to come onto 3CR and actually have a chat to her perspective about what's going on with this. But Mr Dan Flynn, um, I don't think he'll be coming on the DOGS program because he's the executive director of the Australian Christian Lobby. The Australian Christian Lobby is taxation exempt. So his wages, his organisation, if you take the taxation exemption away from him, he loses his job. So I think he personally might be very interested in making sure this doesn't happen, let alone talking about the ideas of Elizabeth back in the 16th century. Um, This man who runs the Australian Christian Lobby, who I say at the moment, I'll say it because it's true, um, is very, very active in making sure that the safe schools in in Victoria and across Australia is, is kicked out and all the LBGTI kids out there will be very much the worst for this. His wages are paid for in part by taxation exemptions which come from this process. Um, Now, I don't think the government should be supporting any particular religious lobby group at the moment. I think that's for religious groups to pay for for themselves. I think the really sad thing is that the Christian groups should actually go back um, to Christ uh, who was asked about whether he should pay taxes to Caesar as a good Jew. And his answer was, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. In other words, Christ believed in the separation of religion and the state, but I don't think that Christ had too much time for religion as such. He certainly was prepared to take on the Pharisees or any hypocrites. And that's the really sad thing about this, that religious people believe that the state has somehow got to boost their belief system. Hmm. I don't think that is good for religion. And this has always been the dog's program. If you don't separate church and state, if you, in fact, give enough, and, and if the religions are forced to demand money from the state, then that's not just bad for the state, as we've seen with lack of transparency. It's also very bad for religion. And uh, we can see how our churches are empty in many cases. And this is a very sad situation indeed. Yes, indeed. Actually, I was going over that particular quote, you know, when was it Matthew twenty two twenty one, I think, in the in the yep. Bible. Yep. Fascinating quote because he actually asked. He said, you know, someone pulled out a bit of money and he said, oh, do you, do you pay taxes on this money? And Caesar says, well, have a look at it. Who's, who, whose face is on it? Hmm. And it was Caesar's face. And he said, oh, well, it's his then. His face is on it. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and lend to God that which is God. So, yeah, I think if Jesus turned up in Victoria at the moment, he'd have a chat to Mr. Flynn and said, you know, back off. This, this, this woman from the sex party's probably got more of an idea about where money should go than you do. But, yes, yes, we're not going to have too much of a theological debate here on the Defence of Government Schools program, but it is wonderful to have your company this, this week and every week because we've been around for a very long time, almost as long as 3CR, 40 years. Happy birthday, 3CR. 
But now we're coming to the end of our program, and if those people who are listening at the moment, and we certainly hope you're listening with intent, and if anything we've said either annoys you, or if anything we've said um, interests you, you can check on us. Please do at our website, which is www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until next week... Um, when hopefully we'll have some nice guests to talk about the defending of government schools and indeed the separation of religion from, from, from the state and making sure that everyone pays their taxes so that the people of Victoria have enough taxes to spend on good state schools. Um, until then, it's bye for now. Bye for now. Ladies and gentlemen, this panel is now on air. In July 1976, from an old warehouse in High Street, Armadale, 3CR Community Radio hit the airwaves, heralding 40 years of independent, community-owned and controlled radio. This will be the first station owned and operated by a cooperative of community organisations on a Melbourne-wide basis. This is 3CR. As the status quo of old media is challenged, as publications come and go, in a country with the highest concentration of media ownership in the world, 3CR continues to broadcast radical, insightful radio 24 hours a day seven days a week. We're not talking about land rights, we're talking about sovereignty. That's why it's important for us to be at the 10 Embassy. From the protests against the Franklin River Dam to the 1998 waterfront dispute, from the east-west tunnel picket to the Aboriginal 10 Embassy, the history of 3CR is dynamic and passionate and ongoing. I was born here. I will die here. I am not moving. <laughs> So as we celebrate 40 years in 2016, we ask you, our volunteers, listeners and supporters, to join in in saying, Happy Birthday 3CR!
strikers strike and organize. It's there you'll find your hero.